Well, go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning of 1 Corinthians. Whenever I get a week off, I, I find myself uh, coming back to the text, and when I sit where I was sitting last week as Cody was preaching, I thought to myself, boy, I wish I was, I was preaching. It's such a joy to be able to be with you on Sunday mornings and proclaim the truth of God's Word uh, and apply it to our lives and take it from this place. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Right, look at verses 1 through 9 with me. And actually, let's go back up the page a few verses earlier. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. Sometimes it's unfortunate that, that we have chapter breaks where we do. Uh, and I can say that because chapter and verse is not inspired. It was, came much later as a helpful reference point for us. So oftentimes they are helpful, but sometimes we need to back up just a little bit and see the context in which uh, Paul is diving in, especially here when we get into chapter 3. So go back up the page to chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to read there. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, but, but just to see the flow of Paul's argument here, I think it's important. So let's read this together. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they have folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For one says, I follow Paul, another, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. I've been really burdened as we've moved into 2019 now. I've been really burdened uh, for my boys. Abel is just about to be six uh, in about four weeks, I guess. Four weeks from Friday, he'll be six years old, and Tev is a firm four. He's right in that, right in that wheelhouse. And I had the thought the other day, these guys are going to be men. These guys are going to be men. It's a few years away still, but, but they're going to, they're going to be men. And so I started thinking about it and I was like, okay, I need to read a little bit about, that's what I do. I was like, need to read a little bit about, about raising men uh, and raising boys who are going to be men. So I found a book by a pastor named Doug Wilson. Um, I've read some of his stuff in the past and found it very helpful. Uh, the, bo- the, the book is called Future Men. And as I read the description, right in the description, it said, as much as it might distress us, our boys are going to be men. <laughs> And that pretty much summed up exactly what I was feeling in that moment as they were wailing on each other in the playroom. And I said, as much as it is distressing me, these guys are going to be men. And so it led me to sort of ask the question as I sort of began to skim through the book, what am I trusting to raise my boys? 
Do I think that it's my own strength and ingenuity and organization and effort and a camping trip that's going to instill in them the things that they need to become men? Or am I entrusting them to God? Is the maturity that I desperately desire for them to grow into shown to them in me because I have faith? Or does my unbelief and faithlessness sideline me as a viable example for manhood for my sons? And when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're going to see it right away in chapter 3 that, that this text is about maturity. Paul wants the Corinthians to grow in maturity and to move beyond the silly things that were creating divisions among them. Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthians, and so, so I'm confident that he labored with many of the same questions I just asked about my own sons when it came to the church in Corinth. And I think we often believe ourselves to be more mature than we actually are. And so when we read this, and I'm sure when the Corinthians first read this, they thought to themselves, is this an adequate assessment of, of who we are? Is this an adequate assessment? For you are still in the flesh. You are merely acting in human ways. You are not ready for solid food. You are infants in Christ. That's what I think the Corinthians thought when they picked this up and they read it. And it was affecting them as a church. So this text here largely has to do with maturity. And there's a, there is a, uh, an overtone of, of unity. What is it to be united? And this continued theme that we see probably all the way through the end of chapter 4. This overtone of unity and what it looks like to be united as the body of Christ. And then there's an undertone that comes in here. That's understanding the proper role of the men who are servants which he says in verse 5, servants through whom you believed. So he's going to build up this argument, and there's a popular verse in here, which I think is very helpful to us. We're obviously not going to key on it very much this morning, but, but look at verse 7. Paul says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. We're going to walk up the ladder a little bit to the, to the understanding of maturity because this is an essential idea in building out the Corinthians' understanding of what maturity is. So what are the marks of maturity? This is going to be the way that we begin to think here as we process these first nine verses and even the last couple of verses in chapter two. But as we process these first nine verses in chapter three, we're going to ask ourselves, what are the marks of maturity? What are the marks of maturity for the Christian as he or she engages in the context of the body of Christ? And so there are two movements then in this text, movements like getting from A to B. Where does Paul see that the Corinthians are and what is B, where does he want them to, to go? And so these two movements are this, and these are going to be a focus this morning. They're actually going to represent our points. He wants the Corinthians to move from milk to meat. And then he wants the Corinthians to move from strife to harmony, or we could say unity. So let's look at the first one, because this is the bulk of the argument in that probably first paragraph you have, which is represented by verse 1 through verse 4. Milk to meat. So what does Paul mean in these first four verses, and, and really first three even, if, we, if we're picky about it? And this is where, where it's going to be important for us to consider what Paul says in verses 14 through 16 in, in chapter 2. 
Paul distinguishes in those verses, if we look at verse 14, the natural person, right? That's what he starts talking about. And then he's going to compare and contrast in verse 15, the spiritual person. So we've got two categories here that Paul gives us. Natural person and, and the spiritual person. What's the difference? The natural person is an unbeliever, not in Christ. The spiritual person is one who is in Christ or a believer or what we call a Christian. And then when we get to verse 16, he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Quoting from the Old Testament here. For who has, the understand, who has understood the mind of the Lord so that we instruct him? And then he answers this question, because the answer is no one. But then he, he answers the question and says, but you do. He says, but you have the mind of Christ. And as spiritual people, we have the mind of Christ. If we're in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We explored that even a few weeks ago when we looked at Philippians chapter 2 as, a, as an outworking of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 through to chapter 2 verse 5. We have the mind of Christ if we're in Christ. And this is how Paul concludes that section. But then he launches into this, this admonition He's going to tell them now how he came to them, how he uh, addressed them. I could not address you as spiritual people, he says. And what he means is that with spiritual people, if you're in Christ and you're joined to him, then you have the ability to discern what is godly wisdom. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ, wisdom which is foolishness to the world. So these two distinctions exist, and then he floats in here, but I could not address you as spiritual people. Paul tells the Corinthians that they're kind of living in this in-between world. They're living in this in-between world where they are still living like natural people and where they have where they have everything they need to live like spiritual people. And he uses the word, when we get to verse 3, the word flesh. For you are still of the flesh. verse 1, he says that he addressed them as people of the flesh. And now this word means when most of the time when, when Paul uses this word flesh, he's talking about unredeemed human nature. Not like our physical composition, but that part of us that is still drawn to sin. Paul will say in the next letter to the Corinthians that we have recorded, you'll say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are new creations, but this flesh, this part of us that is affected continually by sin, will exist and continue to exist until the full establishment of Christ's kingdom is brought about. So the Corinthians are in this in-between world. We've got the natural person, we've got the spiritual person, and then the Corinthians living as those who are still of the flesh, being drawn to the things that the natural person lives like while being spiritual people. So they have need to live like the spiritual man, but they're still living like the natural one. They've trusted Jesus. Paul isn't disputing their position before God. That's clearly established in chapter 1. Paul isn't disputing their position before God. But the outworkings of it... The outworkings of their position before God are still lacking, at least at this point. So Paul says that he simply can't speak to them like spiritual people. He simply can't address them in that way. 
but as those who are still holding on to things natural people hold on to. And what's the net effect of this in-betweenness that the, that the Corinthians are living? They're stuck in immaturity. They're stuck in immaturity. They're incomplete. They're not yet whole. And they were not prepared for meat, but needed milk. And Paul isn't the only one who describes this understanding of, of immaturity being linked to drinking milk in the New Testament. The author of Hebrews tells his readers in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, he tells his readers when he's elaborating on the priesthood of, of Christ and what that means and what that doctrine is, um, and he's getting, he's getting out in front of his skis a little bit, and then he pulls back and he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So if you played a sport growing up, or maybe you currently play a sport, you understand the importance of fundamentals. The Corinthians and the audience of the author of Hebrews here uh, see they lack fundamentals. A few years ago, the, the Vikings drafted a receiver from the University of Tennessee named Cordero Patterson. And Cordell Patterson was big, he was tall, he was incredibly fast, he had incredible hands, and he had great agility. And everybody said, this is, he's the complete package, this guy's the next Randy Moss, no doubt about it. Hit some off-the-field issues, and they were like, okay, we can look past those. Kind of slipped to the late first round, didn't matter, whatever. But when Cordell Patterson got into, as a Vikings fan, this is so frustrating, this happens to us all the time. But, but when he got into the league, he lacked a really important fundamental skill that caused him to bounce around and continue to bounce around the league. He was not a good route runner. He was a terrible route runner. And you can't coach that speed. You can't coach agility. You can't coach size. And in some ways, you can't even coach good hands. But you can coach, and through discipline and hard work, you can learn to, as a football player, run routes. That's what I've been told, at least, by those guys on TV who talk to me while, while, I, while I yell at the TV because I'm a Vikings fan. And when Patterson got to the NFL, his giftedness and ability, he had it all, but he didn't possess that important fundamental. And he's bounced around the league. He's sort of made it on athleticism, but never maturing necessarily as a player. He's kind of the same player that he was when he got in the league. Paul couldn't give the Corinthians meat because he, they lacked the fundamentals. They lacked the basics. They didn't understand them. And the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing. He's saying, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need to teach, you need to be taught about the things that are basic in the word of God. And he's saying they need the fundamentals of the word of God, even though you've had tons of time to get this down now. You're acting like a baby when you should be tearing into meat like a T-Rex. And when you're dependent on milk... You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. So as we think about these first few verses in chapter 3 of verse Corinthians, we ask ourselves, are we working towards eating meat? Are we working towards eating meat? Men, this is important for us. 
I've shared about this before, but I think it's just an incredibly powerful video from a conference uh, where a talk was given by a man named Vody Bauckham. And I've shared about this a couple times because I think it's really important. I've shared this video with several of you also. And in, in that talk, he says, he sort of leads into this point that he's making. It's a sub-point. Um, and he's talking about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1, 2. And he, he's leading into this and he says, if there's anything that burdens me, it's this idea. In our culture, in modern American Christianity, we will not tolerate biblical, theological, and spiritual maturity in men. Nothing above mediocrity. We sort of think of ourselves, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean we won't tolerate it? He goes on to, he goes on to say that when young men, or men in general, any man, is hungry for God's word and studying theology and living a life that is sold out and passionate about the things of God, the church isolates that man largely and says, you must, be a, you must be a preacher. Why don't you go to seminary or Bible college? And then they remove that person from their midst because men, we oftentimes feel incredibly convicted because of this spiritual maturity and the explosive growth happening in men who are passionate about the things of God. And this is what Bauckham says. The assumption is that full-time ministry is the only route that someone with this type of passion is suited for. But friends, what if we were, what if we were in our vocations as passionate as those who are called to vocational ministry? And the passion for God's word and the things of God are simply the fruit of maturity. They're simply the fruit of maturity in the life of the believer. They're not something that makes us different or sets us apart, but the thing that every, every believer should aspire to. Not just the pastor or someone who is paid to do ministry. And Bauckham goes on to say that it would be ridiculous for a man who had been a bricklayer for 40 years, have a young man who just started laying bricks come to him and say, hey, could, could you teach me a little bit about laying bricks? I don't know anything about laying bricks. And it would be ridiculous for that man who had been laying bricks for 40 years to say to the younger man, I don't know anything about laying bricks. You've been doing it for 40 years. And yet that's oftentimes how we abdicate our spiritual responsibility as men in the local church. 30, 40, 50 years. I say, go talk to the pastor. If someone were to approach you and ask you a question about God's word and the things of God, would your response be, that's not my job to know that? Or would you, because you've been tearing into the meat of God's word like the T-Rex for 40 years, would you, would you say, yeah, I thought a lot about that. Let's grab coffee. Or let's talk about it right now. I've said this to a few of you, and maybe this is weird for me to say this, but my goal is sort of for all of you to put me out of a job. <laughs> I, I, I want, I want, the, the author of Hebrews says it, but this time you ought to be teachers. And that doesn't mean that teacher is like a classroom teacher. It means teacher like you have the ability to instruct in the things of God. Those who are engaged in the community of faith. Let's not go another two or three or five or ten years. It's 2019 already. Let's not go another two or three or five or ten years slowly sipping milk when we have a mouth full of carnivore teeth that are designed to chew. 
take in the truths of God's word personally and chew on them and allow the flavors to impact you, the nutrients to sustain you? Why do you think so many times the Bible refers to itself as food? Do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good? First, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. 1, 2. One of those. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Quoting Psalm 34. Move beyond milk. And there are endless objections here. We know them. We address these ad nauseum. Time I, my, my day is largely spent solving problems. Most of our days, men and women, are, are spent solving problems. Can we creatively carve out some time to chew on the meat of God's word? I think that's a problem we could solve. I've heard things like, I'm not a reader. No one is until you start reading. <laughs> I set a, a really robust reading goal for myself in 2018. Got about 75% done. I got a C. Give myself a C for that. Uh, we had twins born, and that sort of threw my rhythm off. But, but as reading, reading in general is, is sort of about rhythm, like anything else you do. It's about rhythm. It's about finding a rhythm in it. If you do it haphazardly, you'll never develop the chops you need to read faster with higher comprehension. Reading takes discipline. Some people say, I'm not an intellectual. You have the spirit of Christ. <laughs> your understanding of what the text says is not your own anyways, it's God's. Let me give you two more thoughts here under this. This movement from milk, or from milk to meat. This movement from milk to meat. Two more thoughts. First, this is important because we're going to say this a lot, I think. Maybe we already said it a lot. Our primary measurement for all that we do as believers and as the local church, as Buffalo City Church, our primary measurement for success is faithfulness. Our primary measurement for success is faithfulness as believers and as the church. And we have to ask ourselves the question pretty regularly, am I being faithful to that which I'm called? Am I being faithful to my calling? We've been so trained in our culture, and this is what the Corinthians fall into earlier, what Paul addresses earlier. We've been so trained in our culture to say that the things that we do, or the, the way that we believe, or that our capabilities should dictate the things that we do. We've been so trained to believe that what we're good at should drive us towards what we do on a daily basis. And again, we're going to say this a lot over the next few months, but write it down because this is what this text is a lot about. It's not what we are capable of, uh, it's not what we are capable of that matters, but we are called to. The Bible always prefers calling over capability. The Bible always prefers calling over capability. Read the Old Testament. Person after person after person who is under-equipped for the task that God calls him to. Over and over and over again. Why do we think 
that we must have the capability before we step into that which we are called. So our primary measurement for success as a, as a believer and as a church is faithfulness because we value, as those who aspire to understand and know God through his word, we value calling over capability. And your calling, friends, is not this weird out there thing. It's not this thing that you have to determine. Because again, if we aspire to know God through his word, it stands before us right on the page. We are called to know God. We are called to love God. We are called to love others. And we're called to make God known. That is our primary calling. Now, how that flushes itself out in your day-to-day may, may look a little bit different for each individual and wherever you find yourself in your spheres of life. But those four things, and there are a handful of other ones, but those four things primarily are constants in the life of the believer. What am I called to? What am I called to? To know God, to love God, to love others, and to make God known to a world that is in desperate need. Those are the things that we are all, as believers, called to. These are the fundamentals of of the Christian faith. We drink this milk and then we move to meat. We get the basics down. We learn to run routes. We move towards maturity, toward the meat that the Corinthians needed but were unable to chew. So that's one thought. And the second thought that I want to give you before we move away from this this movement from, from from milk to meat, the second thing is that the local church, that's us, is largely meant to equip you for the work of ministry in your respective spheres of life. So we have those things that are constants for the believer to know God, to love God, to make God known to a world in darkness and to love others. All those things are constants for us. But then again, we find ourselves in these respective spheres throughout our, throughout our weeks. Where, what are we doing? How are we being equipped to do those four things in those spaces? So the local church, the design of the local church, God's people set apart for God's purposes, the the local church is designed to equip you to step into those spheres and to effectively do gospel ministry in those places. And largely, a lot of times, we have lost this. We want to be disciples who make disciples. And Peter says that we as believers are to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope for the hope that is in you. That's 1 Peter 3.15. And so growing in maturity and preferring meat over milk has just as much to do with what goes on out there as it does or as it has to do with what goes on in here. And, and many of you have asked the question, like, why don't we have robust programming as a church? Now, programs are good, but largely what we want to do in our youth as a church, a church that is just over three years old, is provide you with resources and in a very real, real sense to do what Paul says in Colossians 1.28. When Paul says that he, he proclaims Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then what Paul says in Ephesians 4.12, Paul says that Christian leaders and those who are leading in the local church are given to, to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The local church and the people who are leading in the local church are designed to equip the saints, that's you if you're in Christ, equip the saints and present them mature. And that's the goal. We want to 
stop settling for milk and start eating meat. And so we provide equipping opportunities. And so what that means is, for us as a church, what that means is lots of highly relational contexts that are less about transfers of information and more about smaller, meaningful, formational opportunities designed to equip us to go out into a world that counts the gospel as weakness and foolishness. Let me say that again. We as a church and our philosophy of how we do ministry looks like more highly relational contexts that are less about transfers of information and more about smaller, meaningful, formational opportunities designed to equip us to go into a world that counts the gospel as weakness and foolishness. So Paul comes to the church in Corinth ready to give them milk because they need to get down the basics and the fundamentals, and they haven't done them yet. And so they aren't ready for meat. And so he says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Paul is preparing to enter into a significant portion of this letter, when we get to chapter 5, that is designed to equip them for where they find themselves in their spheres of life. They don't have these fundamentals down yet. They aren't ready for meat. So that's the question, like, how does Paul know that? Like, what's the assessment that he's making that gets him to this place where he sees that they're still in milk mode and not yet in meat mode? What does he do? If we move to verse 3, there is still jealousy and strife amongst you. So there's our second point, that the Corinthians are still immature because they're engaged in jealousy and strife when they should prefer harmony or unity. Our friends, we, we act according to that which we believe. That's the way that, the way that we're designed, at least the depth of what we believe. So the Corinthians had received the gospel, but they didn't see how it impacted all of their life. And this is a mark of maturity. They didn't see how the gospel impacted all of their life. And so they chased after mere men. They chased after mere men. In this case, in chapter 3, Apollos and Paul are both named. But Paul says that he and Apollos are just servants. Right? Look at verse 5. What is it, then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. He says they're both servants, vessels through whom the gospel came to the church in Corinth. God gets the glory then and not Paul or Apollos, and that's verse 7. That's what this verse is about. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. So we act like the Corinthians according to what we believe. When we choose to identify with individuals and factions in the church who are vessels through whom the Lord is growing and maturing us, we create divisions, and then out of that rises jealousy and strife. When you choose to interact only with people in your age demographic, you open up the possibility to jealousy and strife. And when you draw lines around personality traits and require people to meet your qualifications to receive your attention, 
you open up the possibility to jealousy and strife. And jealousy and strife are rooted in a trap that we repeatedly fall into, simply comparison. Comparison. The Corinthian church divided itself into factions based on the men they identified with, Apollos, Paul, Peter as mentioned earlier, and even Jesus. And they divide themselves in these little factions. These divisions led to jealousy and strife. Our faction is doing better than your faction. Wow, that faction looks pretty good. Whoa. I don't know what that was. These, je- these divisions led to jealousy and strife. I know you're following Paul. This section of seating is for Apollos followers only. We don't talk like that. We don't say those things. But maybe our actions betray us and what we believe. This type of thinking isn't dangerous just because of what happens in this space. And Paul knew that. It's not dangerous in its infancy as an idea. When it becomes dangerous is when it remains largely unchecked. And when it remains largely unchecked, it becomes deadly to churches. Paul knew that. Paul knew that these divisions that were being allowed to form around around people was deadly or potentially deadly to the church. And maybe many of you in this room have even been part of like a painful Hey, I'm back. That wasn't awkward. Where am I? Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Many of you have been through, uh, possibly been through a painful church split, and what that looks like usually is 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 uh, is not usually something like a theological difference, right? usually get caught up in this sort of this political underworkings of this church that begin to swirl and begin to create animosity under the hood. And then people start to think, you know what? They, 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 well, I mean, like, we're over here, they're over there, they're doing their thing, we're doing our thing, and I'm going to step away from this because no longer is this in a direction that my personal preferences are about. Usually it looks like something like, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. But again, Paul argues this in, in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He says, we're mere men. We are mere men. Your unity comes to the gospel. Why are you being fractured, fractured by factions? And churches split oftentimes over these power struggles that have to do with political inner workings. And Paul got this and he saw the jealousy and strife caused by the factions, which would be the seeds that would grow into full-scale church disintegration. So Paul worked to kill it. That's what he's doing right here. He's working to kill it. How? He's laboring. He's laboring to move the Corinthians towards maturity. Friends, Churches don't disintegrate because everyone is mature in Christ and because they're all focusing on the right stuff. 
It simply doesn't happen. It happens when they create divisions for themselves that flow out of immaturity. When the things of God aren't aren't important to people. When they're no longer passionate to see the gospel proclaimed in their community. Paul is laboring to move the Corinthians towards maturity because the potential for them is disintegration. And he does this by equipping the Corinthians in the fundamentals, in the basics, the way that the Corinthians would be prefer harmony and unity over jealousy and strife is being equipped in the basic things of God. So, in conclusion this morning, three thoughts for you. I think this should just be, simply be a warning to us as a church. And we all need to consider our posture individually and our posture together as a, as a body. I like diagnostic questions that I can ask myself and make an assessment about where I'm at. And so let me share with you a handful. Diagnostic questions require honesty. I think they'll be up on the screen. I think I've got them. Diagnostic questions How do I speak about others at Buffalo City Church behind closed doors? Am I slandering them? Am I gossiping about them? Secondly, am I being equipped for gospel ministry through the local church, or am I just simply looking for some of my needs and personal preferences to be met once in a while on Sundays? Thirdly, do I only interact with people like me in the local church? Fourth, Am I regularly encountering or encouraging others and being encouraged by people whose personalities or traits don't always seem to jive with mine? Fifth, am I regularly comparing myself to others, wishing that I had either physically, spiritually, emotionally what they do? This is where my heart went when I started asking these questions. When I started thinking, what, what is it? What are the things that are that are markers potentially of immaturity and how can we be equipped to move towards maturity and oftentimes it just requires an honest assessment of where we're at. So I'd encourage you to look at these questions and maybe think about a couple of them in the upcoming week. And that's just a start. That's just a start, but the thrust here is clear. Will we be fractured by factions or united by the gospel, Buffalo City Church? And, And the way that this happens is by understanding the basics and getting the fundamentals down. Milk is for babies. Milk is for babies. And some of us need to grow up. It's time to eat milk or eat meat. Some of us should be teachers by now, like the author of Hebrews says. But the basics still elude you. Maturity in the Christian life doesn't come by hanging around at church or, or church-like people for decades. It doesn't come through experience and it doesn't come through behavior modification. Maturity for the Christian in the Christian life comes through the passionate pursuit of knowing God through his word and actively seeking to work towards eating that meat. So the second question then, the second Concluding thought this morning. First, this should be a warning to us as a church. The second thing is, are we working towards eating meat or let's work towards eating meat? Again, this is, a, this is something that, that I think 
I don't know why in Christianity and evangelicalism we've lost this idea. But nothing in life comes easy. Nothing in life comes easy. Anything that's worth doing requires time, energy, and effort. And yet we, we sort of treat the things of God like they should just flop into our lap. Like they should just be part of us. And we should, we, we become a Christian and then immediately everything is just it's like light bulbs and explosive growth. And there are many people in the Christian world who would concoct easy formulas and lots of times we latch onto those things. They say things like, just have more faith or just give more money or just speak it into existence. Those things sound good because they appeal to our flesh, but friends, they're just laziness. They're just laziness. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, The sluggard says, that's a lazy person, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. And that's lazy immaturity. There's something that we could walk out this door and could kill us this morning. Is that going to prevent you from walking out that door? Lazy immaturity prevents you from waking up in the morning and doing what is necessary. <laughs> Maturity sets the alarm clock, wakes up, and punches the, the difficulty in the nose. Because it's a lion. Milk sippers stay in bed because of the potential problems. And meat eaters wake up and pop out of bed and wrestle the lion. They don't wrestle it because they're strong, but because the promises of God for them are true. And because Jesus is the yes to all of those promises of God. The command to not be afraid, the promise that God is for us, they, the promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the promise that God will uphold us with his righteous right hand. Friends, we need to eat the meat of those promises down to the bone and stop being crippled by petty excuses. I think what I'm saying is this. Don't ignore moving towards eating meat because it requires you to make sacrifices of time, energy, and effort. Do the work necessary. Do the necessary work. Understanding that it's God's work and not yours. Paul says in Colossians 1.29, we read 1.28 earlier, but he says that he toils, oh cool, we could watch some movies. Paul says that he toils and struggles with all his energy that he powerfully works within him. He toils, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within him. Friends, we need to give ourselves to our Bible individually and corporately. We need to give ourselves to the local church, to the people, to be equipped and to equip so that we may go out into a world that's in desperate need and make disciples. We need to get the fundamentals down. We need to start eating meat and watch as God gives the growth like Paul says in verse 7. Final thing that I would say this morning, final concluding thought is that Christ is enough. Christ is is enough. One of the beauty, one of the beauties of this concept is that the basics are the basic and those come to us in Christ. And as we grow in our depth of understanding of those things, we find that they're also in Christ.
John Calvin said, Christ is milk for babes and strong meat for men. That is to say, you don't graduate. You don't graduate from knowing God. Christ is your food. He is the bread of life. The only thing that can ultimately and finally sustain you. The basics are understanding the details of the gospel. What is the good news? That Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life that we could not, died the death that we deserve because we were separated from God because of our sin. He went into the grave, he came back on the third day, and rules and reigns at the Father's right hand as a seal and a guarantee, gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee so that we might be raised and spend eternity with him in everlasting joy. Those are the basics of the gospel. Those are the basics of the gospel. That's the milk. We sip on it, but, but we sip on those basics and then we dive deep. We move beyond just the, the, simple, the simple statements. There's meat underneath. And a well-developed understanding of it and how it impacts all of our lives. Friends, again, the, the Corinthians had received the truth of the gospel and they knew who they were in Christ. And Paul even, uh, he reminds them of who they are in Christ. Right in chapter one. And he says, you're, the way that you're living isn't impacted by that truth. And the mark of maturity is moving beyond the simple information and is seeing how it impacts every moment of every day. Immaturity discards the gospel in the home, in the workplace, and anywhere outside of Sunday morning. Maturity sees the radical impact that it has on all of life. So the final thing that I would say this morning is this. Let's work towards eating meat. Buffalo City Church, let's work towards eating meat. Let's pursue maturity together. Let's be unified in the gospel and let's set aside personal preference and declare with utmost certainty that Christ is enough. Because he is.